This podcast is powered by Podcast Network Asia. For more info on the shows and the network, visit www.podcastnetwork.asia and Podmetrics, the only analytics you'll ever need for your podcast. Sign up now for free at podmetrics.co. Hi, this is Michael Waits and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Nirjur Rahman. I did it, by the way. The CEO at Bangladesh Angels. Nujur, how are you doing this evening for you, right? It's nighttime where you are. I'm doing great. It's the start of my Thursday, which is the end of the week here in Bangladesh. We've had a pretty good week, launched our first ever Ooh. accelerator um, and had a really good turnout yesterday at the launch program and such. I'm on a good high, I guess, from that. Yeah, remind me. I want to get to that in a bit, yeah? Can you give our listeners a little bit of your background for context? Absolutely. So I was born in Bangladesh, but uh, I left when I was a kid three years old, okay. grew up mostly in Japan and then settled in the US and then started my career in consulting, but then quickly realized I didn't want to do that and ended up kind of pivoting to startups. Wait, wait, wait. You said you grew up mostly in, I was expecting you to say Texas, but you just said Japan. Where in Japan did you grow up? Uh, Kyoto. W- what were you doing there? Uh, my father was a graduate student at the University of Kyoto. Huh. You know, I did my study abroad at Doshisha. No way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, your dad and I could have long conversations about Shijo Kawaramachi for sure. Um, oh, man. Where did you go to high school then? Or where did you go to school? Well, I, I mean, from middle school on, I mean, pretty much uh, sixth grade onwards, I was living in the U.S. Ah, okay. Fair enough. So you probably don't have as many memories of it as I do since I was there when I was like 19 and 20. I can't even remember anymore how old I was. But yeah, what an amazing place. That That's incredible, actually. So what do you think is an important fact about the Bangladesh startup ecosystem that most people outside the country would kind of be surprised to know and definitely don't know? Absolutely. I think, and this is also a surprise to me, I guess, as an expat coming back to Bangladesh, is that I'm coming from a place like Texas where everything's kind of open and, and you know, even though it's a large population, it's also spread out over a very large area. Yeah. I think everything in Bangladesh is defined by that D word, density. Right. So you've got right. 160 million people, you know, pretty much 40, 50 percent of the U.S. population crammed in an area the size of Iowa or maybe more interesting is New York because there's so many Bangladeshis in New York. And so I think everything kind of emanates from that. Um, and the fact that you've got this massively young population, it's a young country, right, 45 years old. But then uh, a good two thirds of the population is, is is under the age of 35. Wow. So if you can kind of combine that density with the youth with rapidly rising phone penetration, internet penetration, smartphone penetration, and and cultural and digital literacy that creates a lot of opportunities for a lot of different companies to serve that market. So I think that's kind of what's defined the ecosystem so far. What's the um, What's the biggest city? It's Dhaka. And is that the capital as well? It is, yes. And it's very much a primate city, as you might, you know, like a Bangkok or Seoul, where it's, I think, less than 1% of the land mass of the country, but you've got, it generates about 50% of GDP. Yeah. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks it's a little bit like Tokyo as well, in the sense that something mm-hmm. like 35 to 36 million people live in the Tokyo metropolitan area, and there are only 125 million people in the whole country. So exactly. Yeah. Sounds pretty similar. Look, you called yourself an expat, right? What was the idea for moving back? Back is a weird word, right? Since you didn't really live there for most of your life. But what was the idea for moving back to Bangladesh? It's it's a great question. And I think it it definitely wasn't out of any kind of design. Um, (laughs) I, I I guess for me, just 
growing up as a suburban kid in Dallas, you know, all you really want to do is go out and see the world and you don't always get to do that. Um, and so I would listen to a lot of NPR world, you know, BBC public news in the, in the evenings and have dreams of becoming a diplomat or, uh, you know, a globetrotter. And so I studied international relations and then I joined or a consulting firm, but then quickly realized that that's not the way I wanted to kind of see the world. I wanted to maybe be at the grassroots a little bit, work with entrepreneurs, et cetera. So I did a bunch of kind of random things. I ended up kind of in Mongolia, and this was 2012, 2013. And so there was a lot of political unrest, uh, as well as just kind of different types of unrest coming out of Bangladesh that was in the news globally. So there were factory collapses, there were um, a lot of political tension emanating actually from many of the things that happened 45 years ago when the country became independent. I became very curious about the country and and reading about it. And I don't know how much um, you know about Ulaanbaatar, but it's the coldest capital in the world. So it's it's extremely cold and you're kind of stuck wondering how you ended up there. In <laughs> so Mongolia, you, I, yeah. In Mongolia, that's yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I just started reading more about Bangladesh and I think I fell in love with it. I, I fell in love with how far the country came up came um, despite its very terrible and turbulent beginnings and I fell in love with the potential of the country and, and had some ideas there and I figured well you know I could be a professional traveler for the rest of my life or I could try to go back to the place where I was born and, and maybe try to connect those worlds right west um, and east Bangladesh and the US etc so for people that don't know you said 45 years ago Bangladesh got its independence can you just tell people where it got its independence from yeah, actually, it's forty nine. Uh, I should be me. I should correct myself, but uh, yeah, no, it was it was the it was one of the first post colonial countries to become independent from another post colonial country, right. which is Pakistan. Pakistan, yeah. and so right, India broke up into India and Pakistan, and then Pakistan broke up into the East and West wings, and then the East wing was uh, Bangladesh. Got it. Okay, just so people understand, like where the what the context is of that and and why it's so significant. But it's also, I think, the population is one of the things that has always fascinated. I think if we talk to people in Boston or in Philadelphia or even in LA and say, just right off the bat, how big is the population of Bangladesh? They'll probably say 27 million, something like that, right? In other words, it's just one of the things that they'll get so wrong. And I like this idea that it's not just a young country from a formation standpoint, but a young country from like an average age standpoint. You said, what, two thirds of the population is under 35? That's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after you returned... What was the thing that got you so interested in the startup space and then to start Bangladesh Angels? How did that happen? For sure. So I think when I first came back, I was doing a project funded by the Gates Foundation trying to commercialize technologies in urban sanitation because less than 1% of the country has access to any sewers. And so you have to figure out alternative technologies can deal with waste, I guess, within the household or within the building. And so I messed up a lot. Uh, did a lot of things that didn't quite work out, um, learned a lot and, and learned a lot of Bangla along the way as well, because I, I could barely speak the language when I came back. But um, we ended up kind of doing this public-private partnership, um, importing these vacuum tanker trucks from places like China or India um, to suck up the waste from septic tanks and then hopefully take them to a safe site to be treated into things like fertilizer that could be used as byproducts and even sold. And that project is still going on. Mm-hmm. But I think what I realized doing that for three and a half years is that uh, it's very difficult to do business within an NGO and or within that NGO kind of modality. It really is. And so I got, right? And so I ended up kind of moving away from it, um, looking for something else. And so I ended up becoming the country manager for a startup accelerator, working with entrepreneurs all over the country in areas like water and sanitation, but also education, health. And I think that was the kind of second big kind of leap in my thinking was that although it's good that 
we try to them up with training, uh, although it's good that we give them some small grants. Um, I think once again, this donor-led approach to entrepreneurship development doesn't always work. And what these entrepreneurs need, particularly the ones that have that potential to really scale, is smart capital by way of both mentorship and as well as finance, right? And for them, at least in their early stage, that would be angel investors. So that's when I got introduced to this concept of angel investing, started learning more about it, uh, realized one, that Bangladesh didn't have one. Um, and then a few people in the ecosystem, some very eminent personalities uh, who've been doing it much longer than me kind of came to me and said, look, you know, it's great that you have that idea. We've actually been trying to launch one. We need a full-time CEO. Why don't you become that? So that's how I ended up kind of uh, getting involved. So the, the natural leap from an NGO into angel investing, like it's not actually a natural leap, right? What were the, and I know you went to a startup accelerator as well, but it's a good observation. In other words, you have to be at the sort of the top of that funnel which is where, and I always get this wrong, I can't know, I can't remember if it's top of the funnel or bottom of the funnel, but at one of the points, right, where everything starts, and that's really with angel, really angel investing, right? And if you don't have that in your ecosystem, it's not going to fail per se, but it's just going to be hard to get it started if nothing else in the ecosystem exists, right? Because it's real people taking real risks with their real money. It's not institutional yet. And right. it's there where I think everything really starts. If you go back and look at the funding of even some of the biggest companies in the United States, even new ones today, like um, Uber, literally start got funded sitting around a table at an angel investor's house, right? With a bunch of that angel investor's other angel investor friends. And when you look at Bangladesh angels, do you look at other ecosystems around the world that have vibrant angel ecosystems and try to mirror or learn from what they do? And do you reach out to them and contact them to try to build that like you said, the bridge and the connectivity? Absolutely. I think that was kind of, I mean, that was one of the key kind of validators, right? So, you know, we've been privileged enough. We've got a few kind of linkages um, to regional angel networks uh, by way of stakeholders. Uh, you know, one organization that's kind of a sister concern to ours is Avishkar, investment company out of India, but then they've been doing this throughout the region, kind of developing ecosystems, doing ventures, doing private equity, investing in microfinance, kind of throughout South Asia, Southeast Asia, as well as Africa. And so they had those linkages and they've actually been Cool. Act, you know, active and kind of setting up angel networks throughout the region. And so that was one of the ideas that they saw, or that was one of the gaps that they saw in the Bangladesh ecosystem as they were starting to invest, you know, relatively high amounts of money. When you're talking about 2015, 16 into startups in Bangladesh, you know, $2 million plus is that, you know, they, they exactly. And they need to create that pipeline for themselves as well as others <laughs> who, who might potentially come in. So that was one kind of impetus. The The second is, you know, we've, we've been very privileged to work with uh, sister angel networks like Indian Angels, of which we are, you know, becoming an affiliate, uh, Lankan Angels based out of Sri Lanka. They gave us a lot of a uh, lot of mentorship when we started. And and I, we saw that, right? I mean, in India, uh, 20, 25 years ago, there were hardly any angel networks. Indian Angels was really the first one. Yep. And then nowadays, every major metro city in India has at least four or five, I would venture, imagine, whether it's chapters of Mumbai Angels or Indian Angels or even local ones like Chennai Angels, for example, right? And I think that's a that's a really key kind of part of the whole financing value chain because these entrepreneurs can then go to these angel networks. They often have these links to the, the local VCs sparring up in the last decade. And, and that's kind of where it starts. So I think, you know, we saw that in India and we, we thought we saw that in India, we saw that in Sri Lanka, we saw that kind of cross markets and we realized, hey, why not do something like that for Bangladesh? Great idea. Do you want to give like a 35,000 foot view of just like the entire ecosystem and what and what like what you see from that perspective. And then I want to drop down and talk about this accelerated program that you said you just started yesterday, the day, but I can't remember what you said. But yeah, can you take like a really high level view and then we'll kind of pull down? Sure. I, I think for us, you know, we 
kind of came about as a response to three main trends over the last five or six years. And I think that's kind of when it was kind of ground zero for the system in Bangladesh. Like that's how old we are. Um, and so we're still quite young, right? Yep, yep. But I think in the last five years, the one kind of uh, trend is that there's been a lot more incubators and accelerators that have kind of sprung up in the market, whether, you know, originally maybe they were donor backed, uh, you know, development sector backed, but then increasingly they're backed by private organizations, conglomerates, multinational companies, co-working spaces, universities, what have you. Yeah. So that helps kind of develop that um, early stage kind of pipeline of entrepreneurs. Right? And I was part of that too, right? So that's that's one element of that. Uh, the second piece is that there's more and more kind of institutional uh, and larger tickets size capital going into startups in Bangladesh. In the last five to seven years, there's been around $300 million plus worth of deals in this sector um, across kind of some marquee names and categories like e-commerce, logistics, uh, services, marketplaces, et cetera, fintech. And what's interesting is, you know, that that whole sector has kind of grown now, right? So there, I think in terms of at the last count, uh, the startup sector as a whole kind of generates about 1.5 million jobs directly, uh, 6 million indirect. There's about, you know, also responsible for providing livelihoods to half a million kind of freelancers, micro entrepreneurs small businesses, restaurant owners and such across these various platforms. And then the last piece is government support, and which has been quite key because the government has been really pushing the startup ecosystem as a thrust sector for the country. They've had some really good policies when it comes to creating, for example, software technology parks and providing low-cost office space to startups and IT-enabled companies, uh, providing tax holidays for startups and IT-enabled services firms. Uh, and also, I think, trying to induce more liquidity in the market by, for example, introducing uh, a framework by which local banks and financial institutions can now actually do venture investing, private equity, by start launching their own funds. That wasn't possible two, three years ago, but now that's happening. And another is this microcap exchange that's part of the, the DACA stock exchange, where hopefully in, you know, in the near future, young companies with very little paid up capital without a history of profitability, yeah. i.e. startups, would be able to list um, in early in their cycles and be able to access capital that way as well through retail investors. Yeah. So those are some of the positives. Yep. So we saw that in Japan and they're trying to do that in Thailand as well. And this idea is that they can actually IPO, which sounds a little bit like a bigger deal than it is, but it actually gives them access to public capital. Right. Right. In a way that's not um, egregious, right? So they don't have to be listed on the main exchange where the listing requirements are very difficult and stringent, which they should be, but they get the list on the microcap exchange or in Japan on the mother's exchange. So it's, it's actually a really good idea. Have some of the legal frameworks around bankruptcy, company setup, um, opening bank accounts and stuff like that changed as well? Yeah, I, think, I mean, it's become much easier to start a company in Bangladesh, for sure. Right. When it yeah. comes to, I think, I think, you know, going up on the doing business rankings has been a, a key kind of thrust uh, for the government. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, in terms of trade licenses, in terms of company registration, I think those are all relatively easy. I, I think some of the challenges still is that one, there's not enough kind of um, startup friendly types of instruments that are kind of permissible in the market. And so, so far, and when we're talking about convertible notes, safe right. notes, et cetera, yeah, yeah. those don't really yet work in the context of Bangladesh. And then the second piece is this kind of trend. And I think this is true across a lot of frontier markets, which is, you know, you may start out in your local country, but then to access greater pools of startup friendly capital, you would be domiciled in a place like Singapore. Right, and then right. trying to trying to do that, I think, straight in a straightforward manner is still new. Right. So this is one of the things I talk about, particularly on my Thailand Game Changer podcast, and that is a company set up in Thailand is still more difficult than it needs to be, easier than it used to be. But what most people do is, you're right, they re-domicile. They set up a company in Singapore, which they can do in three days using Accra. It's very inexpensive. 
And then they create a, a holding company there. And then they just create an operating entity in Thailand, which gets a BOI. Like all these things shouldn't really be necessary. You should just be able to have a company here that international investors can put money into directly. But I guess there's just time, just time to wait for that to happen. Can you talk a little bit more about this accelerator program that you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation? For sure. So, I mean, so far, you know, we've been operating close to two years, about at least a year and a half. And so far, I think we've kind of run ourselves on the traditional kind of angel network model of, you know, every so often for us, it's, you know, two to three months, we would kind of come up with the exclusive slate of deals that we would then kind of distribute to our angel base, right? And so, and they could be individual, some of them are corporates, they could be local, many of them increasingly are international, like non-resident Bangladeshis, et cetera. And so that's, that's, that's still what we'll continue to do going forward. And I think the, the priority there is to increase the velocity and, and the size of the deals and such going forward, right? right. But, but, the, but the other side is um, what we realized is that for us to really have a good pipeline, um, it's not enough to kind of wait for companies to come to us. Right. Uh, we, we have to also <laughs> develop them simultaneously. And I think a lot of that has been kind of ad, happening in on an ad hoc basis. Right. And so I, I was quite in, um, inspired by the QE Angels uh, from New Zealand, their model of they have clinics every week where companies will come and kind of present. And then from there, you know, they'll try to find a local cha like a champion from within the network who would then work with them over two to three months to be able to become investment ready before they ever get in front of the rest of the group, right? And so we're, we're trying something, we're experimenting with something like that, um, where over the next three to four months, we'll take uh, five companies that are working in the healthcare space, uh, who you know been doing things relative to COVID. Some of them have seen greater traction during COVID. Uh, some of them were part of a government-run kind of uh, competition to find interesting interventions related to COVID. And so we'll put them through a three to four month program. One of you know a, a key underpinning, which is uh, every week they'll be kind of speaking to panels of our angels. Then hopefully they'll be able to take that feedback, improve their business, and be a bit more polished when the, by the time in say December when they present themselves to the full network. And you just started this. Yeah, just yesterday we just launched. It. <laughs> <laughs> and did did anybody participate yesterday? Like, how did it go? Yeah, it was good. I mean, we had you know people for, kind of from all over the world join in on the program. You know, we have some international partners in this uh, and local partners. So the local partner is a company called uh, Better Stories, which has been doing incubation and pioneer. They introduced that whole word incubation to the Bangladeshi lexicon over the last ten years. Um, and then internationally, we're partnering with organizations like uh, uh, Bridge for Billions, which is a digital incubation platform uh, based in Europe and the US, uh, Roots of Impact, which is uh, a pioneer in kind of impact-based finance, um, as well as Swiss Development Cooperation, which is the development arm of the Swiss government, uh, which is also actively involved in Bangladesh. Got it. Can you tell me, because you've mentioned this a little bit, who are some of the other key players, whether they're companies or other angels inside the country, yeah? And on top of that, because it's nascent still, how do you grow that? In other words, how do you get more people that are wealthy, whether they're expats coming home, to begin to angel invest? For sure, for sure. So I, th I think in terms of some of the key players, uh, one organization is called Startup Bangladesh. So it started as an innovation fund, uh, kind of giving out grants to startups and office, office space and such, which we've also kind of benefited from um, by, by the ICT ministry. Okay. Uh, and then the head of that is um, also on our board, uh, Ms. Tina Jabin. But then recently they've launched a $10 million VC fund uh, focused on explicitly on, I think, you know, co-investing and potentially even doing a fund-to-fund model um, into the emerging VCs in, in Bangladesh. And so that's that's quite interesting. And that's quite, I think they'll be quite pivotal going forward in the next five to 10 years. Uh, and I think it really shows the strong government support. Um, another organization I would say is uh, Startup Dhaka. 
And so it was a group okay. of uh, repats, very similar to me, who mm -hmm. came back much earlier than I did and started kind of doing incubation and startup programs, co-working spaces, and then they graduated. So, you know, they started kind of doing those things. Uh, and all three of them are kind of mentors of mine, but then they graduated to kind of launching their own VC fund that they did with uh, one of the largest financial institutions in the country. And so that's also exciting as a development. And, and I guess it is an evolution of that organization. Increasingly, you know, there's more and more uh, VCs looking at the market or, you know, basing themselves on the market, right? And so a few of them kind of in that have made a splash recently is Anchorless VC, which is a New York-based fund, but they're explicitly focused on Bangladeshi startups. Um, and then another um, person by the name of Sonia Bashir Kabir, who was the regional director for South Asia for uh, Microsoft. So she, she's been a prolific angel in the ecosystem. And so she's recently launched a $25 million fund focused on ventures regionally across you know, South, Southeast Asia and frontier markets in such areas like Bangladesh, Bhutan, Nepal, uh, Myanmar, et cetera. So those are some of the players. I think the key part, I think you, you mentioned the, the right word, which is expats or residents. Uh, yeah. you know, we do have a pretty large diaspora in Bangladesh of Bangladeshis, um, and many of them are concentrated in hubs like London, Chicago, Silicon Valley, Seattle, Sydney, et cetera. And, and many of them are in, you know, maybe the first generation, maybe my parents, you know, they were kind of in maybe more traditional industries or some of them were like academics like my dad, but then the new generation who are in their mid thirties or in many of them are exposed to tech. They kind of understand it. They'd love to get involved. Um, and I think platforms like Bangladesh Angels also provides an outlet for them, right? To see what's going on, what kind of companies are coming up. And how, like, so how do you grow this locally? In other words, if there are, I mean, frankly, it's just you got to get a bunch of wealthy people interested in doing this and creating some risk capital at the angel level, right? And how do you get them into, you know, underneath the tent really to do this? I was inspired by what Padmaja Ruparol, who's the president and founder of Indian Angels, talked about uh, recently to us, which is, you know, angel investing is both kind of um, promoter-led, right, founder-led, yeah. but it's also driven by peers, right? It's peer-led in the sense that you also, you know, watch very closely who else is involved in the company, who's coming in with you. And I think, um, and it, it starts with a few kind of core angels, but then over time, as you sort of, you know, as we also demonstrate our abilities to make deals happen, as these companies continue to grow and, and make a you know, make a dent, I guess, in, in the market, I guess people, more and more people become aware. And, and, and particularly as these companies go to from seed stage, pre-seed stage to series A and beyond, whereby they're able to realize exits for angel investors, I think that really validates the model. And I think that helps a lot more people kind of become comfortable with the idea. And, and there's been a few, there's been a few cases of, you know, very strong exits um, for local companies, for local angels. And I think that's been very catalytic, I think, for, uh, to generate interest. Yeah, yep. for sure. Everybody is going to want to become an angel investor if they if they see their friends making money from it, which is a, that's a great thing, right? I mean, it's a great incentive. Can I ask you this? What is the technical education like in Bangladesh? In other words, is it a country that is focusing on creating an engineer class, you know, people that just love and know how to code? Yeah, I mean, there's there's some really strong institutions, right? Um, in particular, there's one called Bangladesh University of Engineering and Technology, which is okay. sort of the MIT of the country. It's a very similar model to India, right? The, those who get places in public universities are at the very top of the top. Yeah. It's an extremely competitive um, you know, competitive kind of exam system to be able to even get offered a place. Um, so, and But I guess the, the challenge, or, or maybe that's also an opportunity, is that a lot of the the alumni of Buet, as soon as they graduate, end up kind of getting offers to go abroad. Right. Um, and so many of them end up kind of moving themselves quite quite early in their careers. And then many of them 
maybe end up not coming back to Bangladesh, at least and in, in get involved on a business capacity, you know, getting involved with startups and such. But I think that's really changing. Um, even, you know, many of the new angels that we've been signing up uh, and coming to the network during COVID, uh, because we've moved away from doing physical events to being completely digital, a lot of them are coming from backgrounds like Puet, um, you know, people who migrated um, abroad as, you know, people in their 20s, but then now they're in a position where moving up the ranks, they've got some savings, they'd like to get involved. I mean, for sure, I think there is world-class talent uh, coming out of Bangladesh. Many of them end up moving, but then they also end up kind of creating some really world-class products from within Bangladesh as well. And there's some case studies of that uh, recently. That sounds awesome. You know, it reminds me a little bit of the IITs in India, right, where they just specifically yep. set up these institutes to make and made them very competitive as well, just to make sure that there was an engineering class of people there that, um, you know, that were powerful. We've talked about the present, but I want to talk a little bit about the short to medium term future. From your perspective, like, what does it look like? What's the way forward for this? What happens next? I, I think the momentum is good. And I think we just need to continue moving along those lines and solving, I think, a lot of those bottlenecks particularly when it comes to inducing more liquidity, whether it's local or international. And so one is obviously, you know, angel networks like us, you know, right now we're kind of the only active, act, you know, formal angel network. Uh, there's a few others kind of, you know, more informal syndicates and such. But, you know, I think you know, angel networks like us and syndicates need to kind of solve that challenge of pre-seed stage financing, yeah. trying to figure out mechanisms and trying to involve more angels, uh, trying to educate them on how to become good angel investors, and then hopefully, you know, cut more checks, right? I mean, that's the best way we can contribute to the ecosystem. Uh, Second is I think we need to create more uh, regional links, right? I think, um, you know, although the, the digital economy is growing quite rapidly in Bangladesh, uh, it's still a very small part of the economy, just like in any frontier market. But then there's opportunities whereby, you know, you can get connected to uh, strategic investors. One example would be the, the largest ride-hailing platform in the country grew because of uh, this investment from Gojek, right? right, um, and right. They're very similar models. I think that, that facilitate a lot of technology and management know-how and Transfer. transfer. Yeah. And so I think there's opportunities to do more of that. And I think we need to facilitate that. Um, and then beyond that, you know, the, the things we talked about as far as uh, creating, you know, local VC ecosystem, uh, create, you know, developing the capacity of local emerging fund managers, um, trying to, I guess, get connected to the formal financial markets. In, in Bangladesh, uh, as well as I think creating more uh, creating more um, flexible forms of capital for entrepreneurs. I, I think those are some of the, um, I guess, bottlenecks, but then, you know, uh, the ecosystem's kind of coming together to try to solve them. Sounds awesome. Look, the last thing I want to ask you, and I ask other people this as well, is if you had to pick like one or two things, what is going to change the game in Bangladesh? I think a proper kind of concept to exit at the founder level. Um, you know, for a company in like a startup company in Bangladesh would really change the game. And, and I say that because of two things. So one is it would just validate the whole kind of idea of creating a startup in Bangladesh, right. potentially focused on Bangladesh uh, for both would be founders, uh, one, but also would be angel investors and would be investors, right? Yeah. So that's, that's one piece of that. Uh, the second piece is I think obviously that such a, such a liquidity event for a company, I think creates obviously the next generation of founders as well as angel investors. And I think um, it's already happening that uh, to an extent, you know, many of the companies that have gone on to raise series A, series B capital, many of the people who've come up through the ranks have now become entrepreneurs themselves, which is excellent, you know, because they, uh, they obviously work within that startup mindset and yeah. they have that uh, growth mentality and such. But, um, but a proper exit opportunity or exit kind of event like that for a Bangladeshi startup, I think would go a long way to just show that, you know, both locally as well as to the world that we've arrived. Yeah, exactly. And all you need is one, I think. Yeah. 
Look, I want to continue this conversation. I want to get some of the other players from Bangladesh, whether it's the founders, some of the other angels, or even some of the other groups or venture capitalists that are involved and get them on to get their perspective as well. And particularly as the ecosystem grows, you know, and again, I'm going to go back to this word that you used the first time we talked, that it's just this level of nascency means that so much is going to happen. It's got to be an exciting place and an exciting place filled with exciting stories. And I'd like to just get some more people on to try to tell those stories. But for now, I just want to thank you, Nijur Rahman, the CEO at Bangladesh Angels, for coming on the show today and just like like filling my brain with information that there was no other way I was going to get. I really appreciate it. No worries. No, uh, I think, you know, I would love to work with you on, on doing something like that, an ongoing series to kind of highlight what's happening in Bangladesh would be yeah. excellent. It's a great idea. For sure. Yeah.